Brick Lane Brewing. They're doing very tasty things. Find Brick Lane in all good bottle shops. Athena will help you pay down your home loan faster. Visit athena.com.au. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Always great to have your company for Dwayne's World. You learn something every day, or certainly I do. I've learnt that the Dim Sim was invented here in Victoria. Thanks for clarifying that one here on the Dim Sim. Um, Dwayne, the South Melbourne market, uh, the bee's knees, pipe, you don't know what you're missing out on, J-Bob. I've had many a Dim Sim at the South Melbourne market. I go to the South Melbourne market a lot. Um, I'm normally a guy that gets there on a Saturday late and gets the half cray or maybe some Toro at about 3pm before the market's shutting and they're sending them out at a cheaper price. But uh, no, many a person in the South Melbourne market loving the fresh oysters. If you haven't been to South Melbourne market, it is a ripper and the dim sims there are superb. Uh, even the paella on the way out is magnificent. I'm a regular there, don't worry. But I didn't know the dim sim was invented by a Chinese immigrant here in Australia. And I had to Google, and yes, the caller is right about the Chico Roll, so let me read it to you. The Chico Roll is an Australian savoury snack invented by Frank Mackencrow, inspired by a Chinese spring roll, and first sold in 1951 as the Chico Roll, as the chicken roll, despite not actually containing chicken. The snack was designed to be easily eaten on the move without a plate or cutlery. Since 1995, Chico Rolls have been made in Australia. Chico Roll filling is primarily cabbage and barley, as well as carrot, green beans, beef, beef tallow, wheat, cereal, celery, and onion. Uh, so there you go. Um, the, it was designed to survive handling at football matches. So you're spot on with that, thanks to that caller. And the history of development, Frank Mackencrow was a boilermaker from Bendigo, Victoria, who turned to catering at football matches and other outdoor events. In 1950, Mackencrow saw a competitor selling Chinese chop suey rolls outside the Richmond Cricket Ground and decided to add a similar product to his own line. Mac and Crow felt that the Chinese rolls are too flimsy to be easily handled at an informal outdoor dining setting and hit upon the idea of a much larger and more robust roll that would provide a quick meal. The result was the Chico Roll, which was debuted at the Wagga Wagga Agricultural Show in 1951. Uh, didn't know any of that. But great to have that knowledge now. One here, I worked at Chico. Frank McEncrow started. And uh, what went in... Uh, thanks for that, Warwick. Your explanation of it, I uh, can't quite read. Inside a Chico roll, cabbage, barley, beef, beef tallow, green beans, wheat, cereal, celery, onions. Laurie Horish has been good enough to join me from ESPN to talk some NFL. Come back to your calls and texts on food and Victoria's unique footy food shortly. Laurie, welcome to you. Great to have you on. Great to be joining you, uh, even amongst all the Chico roll chat that I'm sorry I can't contribute more to. I, I, I'll confess myself that I haven't I've given given one a, a good run in quite some time, but um, good to know that there's still a lot of passion and love for it out there. What will they be eating in Vegas next, well, for in a fortnight's time for the Super Bowl? What's the unique Vegas food they'll be diving into? Well, I mean, from my understanding, I've never been to Vegas, but lucky enough to be making the trip over later this uh, this week nice. on the weekend at Flyover. But it is one of the food destinations of the world. For a lot of the big chefs, one of the, a lot of the great chefs over there in the states, they set up their shops in the big cities. But Vegas is certainly one that they like to uh, to set up a restaurant in. So I'm sure there'll be no uh, no shortage of culinary options. But uh, my plan is to be working pretty deep into the night there, so it might just be late night fare for me. What do they normally? So the Philly cheesesteak is huge. 
Uh, tailgating is massive. It was big in Adelaide before Crows games and after Crows games at Footy Park, but tailgating still huge in the US where they have the big barbecues set up and they sit there for hours in the lead up to games. Absolutely. It's one of the great parts of game day atmosphere. There's college football at the NFL level. Um, slightly different atmosphere at college, um, just given the type of football it is based in universities, big student body. But look, it's a, get yourself along to a tailgating um, a tailgate party uh, if you do get over the States, whether it's catching football or another sport. But football certainly is, is pretty special because it's a very welcoming environment. Um, there's, it's multi-generational. You see t- uh, supporters from different teams. Um, co-mingling, sharing food. Lucky enough to do it uh, outside of Jerry World a few years back. Um, me and my uh, then-girlfriend, now wife, um, tailgated with some Dallas Cowboys fans who invited. They saw the, the colours we were I think we just lost you there, Laurie. Um, we'll get you back on, by the way. Uh, one here on the text. Uh, this segment is giving me heartburn, Chris in Seton. Uh, so we'll give away the food talk, although there are a lot of texts coming through. Um, Flake. Gummy shark in Victoria is beautiful. Julio saying that's a unique Victorian food. Uh, the difference between Melbourne food, Dwayne, the whole of Australia love it. SA food nobody else wanted. Um, there's certainly no one else in Australia that wants the pie floater. I'm with you on that. Dwayne, the 4 and 20 pie, the footy is a Melbourne invention, synonymous with the game. Thank you. Should be a gold statue of the peanut dude. He is an inst- institution. Thank you for that as well. Quite a few telling me that the Chico roll was uh, invented here as well. Appreciate that. And first debut in Wagga Wagga. Uh, Chico Row is also great in the air fryer. Um, Dwayne, if you opened a pub, would you put the pie floater on the menu? No, probably not. Um, keep your text coming through. 4333 98 uh, is the number. I'm from WA. Can't find the Bain-Marie staple crumbed chicken and cheese sausages anywhere or a good chilli mussel. Jim in Alban Vale. Thanks for that. The chilli mussels in WA, I am told, are pretty damn good. Laurie's back. Um, Laurie, let's talk some footy. Who wins in a fortnight? Oh, I'm going to lean towards the Kansas City Chiefs here. A rematch from four years ago. Different quarterbacks for San Francisco 49ers. Some familiar faces for Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid, Chris Jones on the defensive side. I think the coaching from both these teams, offense coordinators, defense coordinators, the play callers, is fantastic. It's a fascinating chess match, but I really love what we saw from that Chiefs defense. Well, the offense started really well in the first half, and Mahomes was scintillating, and, and Travis Kelsey was back to his Hall of Fame best. What we saw from that defense in shutting down Lamar Jackson, reducing his ability to escape, and, and really confusing, seemingly, that Ravens offense and, and turning their game plan into something that was quite nonsensical with how they moved away from the running game and seemed to launch bombs away downfield, not taking what the defense was giving them there. It felt like they, they really won that chess match. So I'm going to lean towards the Kansas City Chiefs, but you got to play mistake-free football because I think this version of the 49ers versus the 49ers offense they faced uh, four years ago is much more potent, much more explosive. And if you give them free possessions, they think can get away from them. So there are those who believe Patrick Mahomes is um, God. Let me play you, for those people who haven't heard it, Colin Cowherd, who is huge in the US, got his own show and it's a big rating show. He's one of the premier voices from the media in the US, here's what he has to say about Patrick Mahomes being the best ever. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. Peyton Manning, as good as he was, was a teeth clencher. Elway had some really bad big games. Brady was mostly an early game manager. I can say it now, Mahomes is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. I can say it, and I've watched Marino and Elway. You know I love Brady. Now, Brady's more productive. 
But what we're watching here is a player that against the best defenses, in the highest leverage moments, the biggest audience, the most pressure, best defenses, is significantly better. Not better, significantly better than he is in the regular season. His playoff numbers, they don't make sense. So is this going to be the crowning moment for him, do you think, Laurie? He wins this Super Bowl and a few arguments will be settled? I don't think it settles it. That for, for people will still argue that Brady is the best as long as he's got seven Super Bowl mm. rings and Patrick Mahomes is vying for his third. I think there's a couple of ways to look at it, and I, I'm in line with very much of what was just said there. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback I've ever seen play um, play in the NFL. It, it, it truly is remarkable, the production he had from day dot. And whilst you don't want to belittle what Tom Brady did early in his career from a you know clutch moment in those Super Bowls and coming up with some big drives um, at a young age, Patrick Mahomes is undeniably more central uh, and playing at a higher level, being in the MVP conversation in those first six years as a starter, um, which is where we're comparing both those quarterbacks at that stage of their career. It was undeniably more uh, more central, more pivotal. Like our Numbers, uh, it's tough because football does change. Defenses change. Offenses tend to have a few rules go their way over years. So when you look at raw numbers, and you know Mahomes has 219 touchdowns to Brady's 147 at this point. He has 62 interceptions to Brady's 78. The passing game has changed. Offense has changed. But I think let's look at how they measured up against the rest of their, their cohorts at the time. Tom Brady had two Super Bowl MVPs by this time. Mahomes has two going for a third. Patrick Mahomes had three All-Pro nods, the highest honours in terms of individual regular season acknowledgement. Tom Brady had one uh, for actual MVPs, even higher nod. Super, uh, for Patrick Mahomes, it was two. Tom Brady had zero. Offensive Player of the Year, which is almost runner-up to MVP. Patrick Mahomes had one. Brady had zero. I don't like to count Pro Bowls because they can be a little funny in the voting, but Patrick Mahomes has six. At this time, Tom Brady had Three, the championships, three for Brady, two for Mahomes with his chance to go get a third. But I think that shows you just the where Mahomes has been from the get-go. You mentioned some other names there that Brady competed with at the time, um, whether you're talking about the Peyton Manning and, and the likes. Where Mahomes has been has never been seen before. He is on pace uh, to do what we've never seen over his career. Now, Brady's longevity, that they talk about Brady basically had three Hall of Fame careers in one. His longevity is going to stand up. That's where his numbers are going to be very tough to top. But... What Mahomes has done has not been seen before. And for mine, he deserves to be in that conversation as much as people like to get very defensive about this right off the bat. Well, you could argue the NFL has got the, as a team sport, the person with more control than any other person in any other team sport. And I know that there'll be a lot of, well, I suppose the goalkeeper in soccer is up there as well. There are some guys in the NFL that are on big money that haven't been able to get the job done when it comes to the playoffs. So they have good regular seasons, but when the playoffs come, they can't get it done. Lamar Jackson's going to be a talking point a bit after last week, do you think? I mean, Lamar Jackson is going to cop heat because after a very strong first outing in the playoffs last week, this was entirely disappointing from an execution standpoint. Some of his decision-making, I thought the offensive play calling has deservedly been criticised because they went away from a really strong run game and they really seemed to take deep shots that weren't there and they lost the schematic battle. So yeah, he's going to... Um, he's going to cop his fair share of criticism, but he's also 27 years old. And Lamar Jackson was drafted in 2018. Players like Drew Brees and, and Peyton Manning didn't have their big, you know, playoff success, Super Bowl success, till they're into their, you know, between eight, nine years into their 
um, into their careers. So I think we just need to be patient. Look, achievement in the, in the postseason is not linear. It doesn't grow step by step. You have to rebuild and restart each year. But I thought we saw great growth from Lamar Jackson. I think, yes, this is a tough pill to swallow because of the quality of the roster, the health of the roster for the Baltimore Ravens of the position they were in uh, with home field advantage throughout. It, it's not as simple as just, oh, we get to build on next year and we turn back. You do have to build that campaign from the ground up again. But he'll cop he'll cop his fair share of criticism, but I don't think anything we've seen over the totality of this season from Lamar Jackson points to a player in decline or a player we need to move away from. Certainly good enough um, to perform at that level at this stage of the uh, at this stage of the season. I think this moment, um, from a scheme standpoint, from a play-calling standpoint, execution standpoint, I don't think their mentality was quite on point. I think they played a little too aggressive, and that stretched to the defence as well with some sloppy physical penalties there. Uh, I can hear Ravens fans are probably crowing that, hey, there should have been some flags thrown on uh, Travis Kelsey for taunting just as much as their receiver Zay Flowers was. But multiple times there were some self-inflicted uh, penalties and mistakes there uh, that stretched on both sides of the ball. So, yes, Lamar's going to cop heat, but he's also a deserved MVP. Puts him in position to take another stride in the years to come. And Coach is going for it because the analytics say go for it on fourth down, which is a bit of a bugbear of mine when, even in my sport, the AFL, and a lot of sports, you produce analytics that say, well, this is what you do here because over the length and breadth of a season, this is the percentage that ends up being successful when you do that. But with the analytics of going for it on fourth down, it doesn't take into account this team you're playing against under this kind of finals playoff pressure against this specific defence. They just quote the overall percentage. Where are we at with the analytics versus coaches getting the scrutiny for doing the wrong thing in a playoff game against a better defence? Well, I think it depends on the analytics you're looking at. When you're looking at broad broadcast things, that can be different from what a team has. Teams do have deep analytics departments that they weigh their decisions, not just on what every team does or even what their team has done over the season, but against certain tiers of defence, certain types of defence, what looks they're looking at, where production has been, what formations they have. It does go deeper in terms of just blanket rules. Now, in saying that, what we saw with both those couple of fourth-down decisions from Dan Campbell that have been scrutinised in the Detroit Lions loss to the 49ers is that look, these were toss-ups. These, these were fractions of percentage points, percentage points that were... Um, you know, whether to go for it or whether not to. The thing is, Dan Campbell has been very aggressive all season. It's not a surprise he went for these plays. It's not a surprise that um, that he maintained that mentality. And also consider that whilst the Detroit Lions had jumped out to an early lead, they hadn't been able to stop the San Francisco 49ers in the second half. They knew that offense was coming. And Dan Campbell's thinking and saying he didn't regret that is, you know, they needed to, the philosophy, you need to make the most of your possessions there. We'll say, and one of those is a direct strike to Josh Reynolds that he should have hauled in. It was a good play. Uh, it was it was uh, well delivered. Yes, it was a tiny bit away from his body, but it was in a position you'd expect the receiver to make uh, the catch. Unfortunately, on one of the others, where Jared Goff um, got caught in a bad look, they had a play designed against man coverage. Very clever from the 49ers that it was actually zone coverage in disguise. Little trickery after the snap. Got them in a bad play. Their play was designed to beat man. They got caught versus zone look, and it doesn't look so pretty, and it really ages poorly in slow motion as well. So I, I'm not overly surprised. I think one thing, and I'm more pro-analytic than against, but one thing is that you do hear you do hear teams talk about, hey, getting fourth down stops. Defenses say, hey, getting fourth down stops. It's not going to show up in the box score. It's not going to show up in analytics, but the momentum and the energy and the surge that we get off those is massive. That's really hard to quantify, but I, I do think it is something that coaches 
even varying degrees, should weigh and do weigh across the league. That yes, analytics say yes. They say this. Yes, we know that over the course this philosophy will bear out well. We do have to consider uh, what type of defence we're playing against and how they could feed off this if it doesn't go our way. Yeah. So from the deep intricacies of on-field stuff <laughs> to the light stuff off-field, will Taylor Swift get there in time? Oh, sure. Why not? I don't know if they have to. I mean, there's a lot of talk about you know a flight plan and talk about um you know carbon footprints and i don't want to step too much on that but you know do you do you get one no. of the old so she's got her own two time. private jets is that <laughs> is that correct that's where the carbon footprint thing comes in she's got her own private jets and she'll be just buzzing off as soon as her concert in japan's done i think if she certainly wants to be there i don't think there's uh i don't think yep. there's a shadow of a doubt that she could make it there in time and and look to be honest i think it's very interesting seeing, you know, the commentary that surrounds this. We have all sorts of things infiltrate sports talk and football talk and American football talk. And um, I, I think there's a lot of hype, a lot of energy about it. Some people can't stand seeing the cutaways to Taylor Swift. It's not something that overly bothers me, even though I don't consider myself a Swifty or a huge fan of her music. Uh, but I do I, what I like to see at the end of that game. Yes, everybody had the cameras on the uh, on the scene there of her and Travis Kelty afterwards celebrating and embracing, but um, it was nice to see the uh, the involvement of Jason Kelty there again as well, one of the other superstars of this Chiefs run, despite the fact that he's a, an Eagles player, um, the embrace there to go finish this thing. Look, there's going to be a lot of noise around that. I would absolutely put money on the fact that uh, Taylor Swift can and will get there in time for that game in Vegas and then uh, hop back on a flight and head back down to these parts to kick mm. off the tour, re-kick off the tour. Yeah, we had the Australian Open here on the weekend and uh, our cutaways to, were to Magna Zabanski. So um, we do it here too for our celebs. It's not quite the same sort of scale, but she's royalty here. Um, just on Taylor Swift, any chance that she might join the halftime entertainment? Oh, hard-pressed to get in the way of Usher. I think when Taylor Swift does, you know, when we see her performing on that type of stage, if and when we do, I think it's, I think she's, she's a massive enough star that she'll uh, merit her own show. Uh, and uh, and the numbers behind that would be fantastic. But for me, you know, looking forward to getting to see Usher, one of the uh, stars certainly of my formative years and uh, uh, dance moves that I could only ever envy, um, having the uh, being rhythm deprived as I am. Uh, but I think um, I think one day, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see Taylor Swift put on one hell of a show and and break some halftime viewership records. But no, I think if she's there this time, it's uh, it's in uh, in the role as um, you know supporting. Supporting her partner um, and uh, definitely attracting a whole bunch of uh, TV viewership uh, to those cutaways. Laurie, we'll try and get on, get you on air when you're actually in Vegas next week if we can. I'd love to have a chat to you. Absolutely, my pleasure. Laurie Horace joining us from ESPN's NFL coverage team. Great to have a chat to him, and we'll talk to him. Well, not next week, but the week after, of course, because we've got a couple of weeks to wait. Back with more. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. The open line number. If you'd like to jump on, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Dwayne's World. Great to have your company on Dwayne's World. The open line number brought to us by Werribee Kia. They've got the EV9 down at Werribee Kia. You can test drive it. David Janan, A. Jim, the whole team are down there. They'd love to see you and tell them we sent you.